You're listening to Hort Skills on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Scott Smith, and each episode will explore an important horticultural skill. Garden design is a topic that is subjective. Much like art, the way a garden is designed can be seen as brilliant to one person, whilst another person hates it. Garden design is a bespoke craft where the designer has to know the audience the space is aimed at. With a home garden, this is simple as enough, as it only has to appease the owner. Public spaces or large landscapes, however, are much more complex. At the end of the day, spaces need to serve a purpose. A well-designed space should be impressive, but also practical. Take a typical home garden. It's great design and a lovely flower bed, but is there a compost area to put your clippings and arisings? Fancy paths are fine, but how do you control future weed or moss problems on them? Have you considered the cost of maintenance and upkeep on that swimming pool or fountain that you fancy? Some basic principles do exist, however, to all designers. It's important to know these as they help to begin the design process and narrowing down. In my personal opinion, a good garden design is a mix of genuine creative skill and inspiration mixed with forward planning, having a good knowledge of plants and soft landscaping, having a knowledge of hard landscaping, and also having experience of gardening whereby you know the pros and cons of certain design features. In my personal opinion, great garden designers are rare because it takes such a large knowledge base and a lot of experience to do it well. Some gardeners have great experience, but they just don't have the creative flair to design. But at the same time, you may have very creative people who've done a garden design course, but they don't have that hard-earned experience to know how to handle plants and may not think through practical issues like, hmm, is there enough space to get the scaffolding up near those pleached round trees to do the pruning in winter? As always, budget has large sway too. The general rule of thumb for someone willing to spend on a new garden is that they should spend the same amount as they would on a new kitchen. After all, a garden is simply an outdoor room of the house. Another general rule of thumb is that a designer will typically take about 10% of the overall budget fee for the project. If you've got a 10 grand garden redesign, the designer will charge about 1 grand of that. It's not a definite rule, more just a rough guide. The main thing a designer will start is with a site visit and inspection. The old garden layout needs to be assessed to look at the site position, you know, where's north, location, issues that may arise such as is there strong winds at exposed areas, is it near the seaside where you get salt spray, soil conditions such as pH, type and so on, current features that are supposed to be kept such as mature trees, are there water courses that need to be worked around and so on. The site needs to be mapped and measured so that a scale drawing can be created for the new design. A good designer will spend time with the owner and find out their needs and wants, or at the very least should send them a questionnaire. An even better designer will see the inside of the person's home to get a feel for their personality and style. A garden should be part of the home after all. Designers must be wary of things like pets and children, as these will dictate whether certain features or not are appropriate. Ponds, for example, are drowning risks to young children and pets. Certain plants can be very poisonous or sharp as well. A good designer will plan plants suitably, and they will also plan plants across time scales. Plants grow and develop at different rates and change shape over time. They also have limited time spans, so whilst it might be great to have a wonderful layout of plants now, what does that look like in 10 years' time? As mentioned before, it's also of course crucial to select plants suitable to the climate, environmental conditions, soil pH, type, and so on. It's also very important to know how much time and money the owner is willing to spend in their future garden. They may not want to do maintenance or may be unwilling to spend much more money going forward. 
Essentially, garden design is really a process of elimination. There's an infinite amount of possibilities, and what you have to do is to greatly narrow down the possibilities. Wants, needs, tastes, budget, conditions, practical issues, so on, they all actually help to chip away the possibilities and to narrow down the scope for a design. A clever designer will take advantage of the strengths of the garden, such as including the borrowed landscapes, microclimates, and mature features. They will hide disadvantages or weak features, such as that oil tank that can't be moved, perhaps problem areas such as wet, shady spots, or they will implement some part of the design that will block out noisy neighbours or busy roads. A clever design uses structure too, in the form of plants. It could also use hard landscape structures such as arches, trellises or arbors, maybe even sculptures or artwork. A really great garden still looks brilliant if a photo is taken in black and white. A garden that looks great in black and white has nailed the structure aspect. There are certain tricks that can be used to make a space seem bigger too. In a small space, adding vertical height gives a feeling of grandeur. It may seem off, but by putting a tall tree, albeit a thin one, into a small space, it actually makes the space feel bigger. Waving lines and paths encourage exploration. Narrowing at one end can be helped to use to create the illusion of length. Narrow paths encourage faster paced walking, whilst wider ones encourage a slower, more exploratory pace. Sustainability is a topic that is more and more in the public zeitgeist, and as such, designing a garden that is environmentally friendly and sustainable is increasingly in demand, and rightly so. The best way to do this is to use native plants rather than exotics that have been imported. Try to make use of plants that attract pollinators, such as bees, butterflies and other fauna, whilst avoiding using excessive chemical use to deal with weeds. If a garden is designed well, then it will have minimal areas for weeds to appear in the first place anyway. It's also important to remember how invaluable mulches are in order to avoid bare soil. Trends that have been fashionable for a long time, such as lawns, are actually quite hard work and resource heavy. They need regular cutting. They may also need watered, fed, re-sown, scarified, hollow-tined, top-dressed and more. This means lawns require a lot of work and yet provide little in the way of biodiversity. Wild lawns as such are becoming increasingly popular, where a typical lawn is mixed with wildflowers or perhaps the lawn is even taken out completely and sown only with wildflowers. At the end of the day, though, it's your garden, and it's your choice. You may wish to have a lawn, you may wish to have wildflowers, or you could have a lawn and make it up to the pollinators by having more wildlife planting around it while still enjoying the lawn. Whatever you do, though, please don't use artificial lawns. They're made of plastic, they create microplastics in the soil below, they contribute nothing to biodiversity, and there have been a lot of studies showing the link between cancer and microplastic combing that comes from artificial lawns. When I worked as head gardener of Pitmeden Garden, I understood a large garden redesign project. The garden design tender was won by an RHS multiple Chelsea Flower Show winner called Chris Beardshaw. After this was kicked off from a generation by the Young family, which was actually a legacy for the sadly departed Mr Young, it was decided that the landscape in the upper garden's parterres were not greatly providing much to visitor impact and were of the least historic importance. As such, it was also decided that we should create something to provide a better visitor experience and tick some boxes along the way looking towards the future, such as helping to tackle issues for improving biodiversity for fauna, increasing floral reward, lessening the need for fertilizers or chemicals, and to look at plants that cope well with increasing environmental stresses like drought and flooding. With weather being far less predictable and seasons feeling out of kilter nowadays compared to a few decades ago, It's a great bonus to have plants that can now deal with whatever's thrown at them. It was a very tricky specification for the designer, 
as it had to be sympathetic to a 17th century garden, but also still in keeping with the place, new and exciting, low maintenance, good for fauna, and so on. It, it was a tricky old brief. But ultimately, it was a very rewarding thing to see the whole design from start to finish. It was a fantastic opportunity for me personally to oversee something from its inception to completion, and by one of the world's leading garden designers, no less. It is a fantastic process. Garden design is incredible fun, so why not have a go at home? It doesn't take much. It doesn't have to be large scale or gold medal winning. Even just go outside into your own yard and sketch it out, plan it, map it, have a look at it, fiddle about with some designs. It's fantastic fun and it will really give you a fresh view on your garden and perhaps maybe make you rethink about how you want to use that space. If you enjoyed content like this, why not catch my weekly article in the Press and Journal, available online. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the Plants Grow Here podcast 